Welcome to Epignosis, the teaching ministry of Grace Morgan. May the light of God illuminate your heart and may the truth make you free as you listen. After my last teaching on divine purpose, I got reactions from my listeners that I needed to follow up on it by teaching on how to know the purpose of God. Now this topic is a little tricky. I can say that knowing the purpose of God is one of the greatest mysteries that exists. It's a gigantic philosophical endeavor. It is comparable with knowing and defining life, which so many have grappled with for centuries and are still grappling with it today. Now, the purpose of God, as I mentioned in my presentation titled Divine Purpose, is the intention of God or the direction in which God has decided to go. While thinking about it, I realized that in trying to define divine purpose, it will be absolutely necessary to examine what God is in the first place. We take for granted that we know what God is, but I think we need to examine the word God before we can examine the purpose of God. After all, how can one know the purpose of a thing when one does not even know what the thing is? Looking at the definitions I saw in the dictionary, God is defined as a supreme being. Now this definition seems quite inadequate because it tends to go in the direction of the monotheistic beliefs. Now, monotheistic beliefs are beliefs that hold that there is just one God. The three main monotheistic beliefs are Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. The word God with a big G and the word God with a small g and the word gods, which is plural, don't mean the same thing. The God with a small g speaks of an English word which describes a function. What I mean is, when you start to worship a thing, that thing starts to function as your God. The plural form of it speaks of a class of being, gods. But then, the God with a big G speaks of a person or a personality. Yet, it is interesting that the dictionary defines God with a small g as if it is God with a big G. That's how powerful religion is in the mind of a human being. It gives me an insight to the religious persuasion of those who wrote that dictionary. They were obviously Christians. And their religion has swayed their definition of that word. As much as I do understand the rationale for the belief system that only sees God as a person, I think it tends to becloud the full meaning of that word. Because the word God is not a person's name, it's a function. That's why you won't be wrong if you say that someone is a God. It's a function. 
So many people erroneously believe there is someone named God. In fact, I've heard someone say things like, His name is God. But the truth is, no one is named God. So God is a function. But then gods in plural is a collective name referring to a class of beings. Now Christians today believe that there is only one God. But even the Bible, which is the central book of Christianity in Genesis 1-1, says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But wait a minute. That word God there was translated from a Hebrew word Elohim, which is a collective noun actually meaning gods. The word is similar to other words like teachers, politicians, soldiers, students. It's a collective name. So in reality, the very first line in the Bible says that there are gods who together created the heavens and the earth. Yet, the Christian belief system still insists that there is just one God. Isn't that confusing? Furthermore, the first religion to hold the one God belief is Judaism. However, on their very first encounter with Yahweh, who revealed himself as their God, one of the instructions received directly from Yahweh at Mount Sinai in Exodus 22:28, it states, Thou shalt not revile the gods, nor curse the ruler of thy people. Now, notice gods is in plural there with a small g. It is very clear that in that scripture, Yahweh himself was warning that they should not insult the gods, which incontrovertibly proves that Yahweh himself acknowledges the existence of other gods. It also further proves that those other gods are not enemies, but fellow gods, or else Yahweh will not be insisting on respect for them. So taking these things into consideration, it must be that the word God is a function, not talking about a person, and gods are a class of being who are supreme in their standing. If we continue in that trend of thought, it also stands to reason that selecting one of these beings as your object of worship amounts to selecting one out of many. Now, by the way, there are those who postulate that the word God in Genesis 1-1, which means Elohim, is talking about what Christians term the Trinity the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now, this conclusion was reached based on several conjectures put together from stories within the Gospels in the New Testament. It came from words spoken by Christ when he said that he and his Father are one. And then again, the addition of the Holy Spirit as a third person in the Godhead because of the prominent role the Holy Spirit played in major events like the descending on Christ at the River Jordan and also the powerful event on the day of Pentecost. 
However, having said all this, while I am not disputing the existence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, I think the linking of the Trinity to the word Elohim cannot hold water. Seeing that Genesis itself was written as part of books belonging to another religion, which is Judaism, and the Jews do not believe in Trinity. Trinity is a Christian belief. It can't be that what was written by Jews can only be explained by a Christian belief. Furthermore, I also think that if the gods written there spoke of three people, it would have been specified in that scripture. Now finally on this section of definitions, there is a thinking that amongst this class of beings called gods, there must be a leader. This is where the term the most high God comes from. Now if he is most high, then it must be that there are others of the same nature. So we may then assume that the monotheistic religions of the world seek and worship the person of that most high God. So you see, God with a small g is a function, not a person. God's, which is plural, is talking about a class of beings. And then the most high God with a big G is talking about a person. Having established God as a function, God's as a collective, and the most high God as a person, let's try to examine the possibility of knowing the thoughts and intention of God's as a class of being and also God as a person. Now, since God is a collective, usually addressed as a unit, it then means that the purpose of God's and the purpose of the Most High God must be the same. It's like the purpose of the police and the purpose of the head of the police. They are the same, or they have to be. It then means that the only difference amongst them is rank and authority. So all gods are united in purpose, they only differ in rank and authority. I believe this is the main reason that the monotheistic religions simply consider God with a big G to be just one, since they are joined in purpose. So for this my teachings, we will consider gods as God, a name for a class of beings with a singular purpose but operate in multiple levels of authority to actualize a collective goal. So when we say God with a big G, we are addressing all gods as a collective unit. Now you may ask, why is it important to know God as a collective and not a person? Not knowing God as a collective will certainly cause a person not to fully understand the multifaceted nature of God and impede the understanding and your ability to comprehend divine operations. God is like army, but gods are like soldiers. They are the same. One speaks of the collective 
and the second speaks of the individuals within the collective it's like believing that army is just one person army is a collective but soldiers are the individuals within the collective that's one of the reasons why there is so much confusion about God I must also mention here that I'm speaking of real gods not false gods like idols and graven images and the like those are not real gods but man-made mock-ups mostly created by men who desire to control other men through fear they are only gods in function as relates to those who make them so now there are many false gods even today and not all of them are graven images even as it says in Exodus 7:1 that God made Moses a god to Pharaoh because God made sure that every word Moses spoke to Pharaoh came to pass. In that same way, many have made other men their gods, believing that the words of those men on their lives will always come to pass. I hope for the grace to teach in detail on this topic sometime. Now, that we understand what god means let's explore the purpose of god can we really know the purpose of god seeing that god is invisible and intangible since god seems to be multifaceted it then stands to reason that we must also consider the purpose of god to also be multifaceted i have come to know that when it comes to god you can never know it all the scope of God is so wide that no human brain or even human sphere of knowledge is capable of containing all that exists within divine affairs. We can only hope to understand relevant aspects and simply leave the rest. A typical Christian's mind has a grossly limited view of God. So some of the assertions that I will make will be strange to many. but we will endeavor to narrow down our purview in these teachings we can only hope to understand relevant aspects and simply leave the rest so the aspects of divine purpose i will be considering in this teaching will be limited to areas that i believe is relevant to our life here on earth in the next part i will be looking into god's purpose for life both general life and human life in particular join me again next time thank you for listening and god bless you hope you were blessed by this teachings for inquiry support and contributions kindly send us an email on epignosis721 at gmail.com you can also send us a message via whatsapp on 2348035773659 we would love to hear from you god bless you